Welcome back to a special edition of The People's Report. This week, you'll hear my conversation with the crew from the Black Revolutionary Theater Workshop. I was October's featured guest for Melanated Mondays. We talk about the podcast, using satire as a way to cope with white supremacy, and how to balance objectivity as a journalist with your social justice work. All this and more on the November 1st, 2021 edition of The People's Report. I want to turn the focus directly on our guest speaker this evening. Obviously, Miyako, Tim, Donnell, if y'all have additional thoughts, feel free to uh, chime in. But we have some questions just to celebrate Amber. Um, first, can you tell us the origin story about the People's Report and what was the moment that you and your co-host, Reed Clark, decided that this project absolutely needed to happen? Sure. So um, the idea for the podcast came about, uh, I was on the train actually in New York. <laughs> and this was like early in my days of like trying to, you know, start writing standup. Um, because I'd gone on stage a couple of times. And I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. So let me think about a medium where I can like control, you know, the product and like get some experience writing. So, um, you know, that was kind of just that an idea that I had in my mind, fast forward to um, quarantine, you know, um, so early, late spring, early summer, you know, Reed and I were in a relationship. So we were just like at home um, thinking about like what we could do to keep sharp. So, you know, I had gone from like my bed to my kitchen table to my kitchen. And that was like pretty much my universe for several months. And I didn't have like any other outlets. And, you know, um, with comedy, um, there weren't any performance venues um, open in DC where we were living at the time. So just thinking about like, what can we do like to bond as a couple to kind of um, break up the monotony of the day-to-day -day during quarantine and also, you know, um, kind of stretch our creative muscles and work together. So um, that's how the podcast was born. And we had actually like recorded a few segments like um, before the pandemic, but you know, with competing schedules, I had started a new job, finished grad school. Um, we hadn't gotten it off the ground until quarantine really forced us to like sit down and create it and like actually put an episode out there. So it was really just a response to um, just trying to figure out like what we could do together in order to like further our comedic voices, but also um, as a response to um, just like everything that was going on in the world at the time, you know, with uh, the Trump presidency and like all of the madness that was happening with um, COVID and watching the government's response to it, especially um, how it affected, you know, poor communities, communities of color, just like as a means to kind of shout to the power structure that like this stuff is important. And it's like, it's so ridiculous that it's like comedic to a certain extent. So the idea of like laughing at the headlines to keep from crying, which is like a, a concept that I borrow from um, my professor, um, Justin Emeka, who told me that like way back in undergrad, like sometimes like the black experience means like you have to, you know, just take a look at things that are happening that are affecting us that are tragic, but you have to, um, like find the, the humor in it in order to keep moving forward. So that's um, how the People's Report was born. Love that. It also brings to mind that great Charlie Chaplin quote, uh, is it humor is tragedy in long view? This idea that's like, you just switch the, the lens on tragedy and suddenly that new perspective gives you so much opportunity for humor. Um, thinking about your journey as a writer, We'd love to just know more about what that journey has been, specifically as a satire writer. And if you have a satirical writing process that you would feel comfortable sharing with folks. Oh, sure. Um, so my writing started off as um, in the journalistic space. 
And um, as a reporter, there's not very much like creativity or humor that I can infuse <laughs> into my work. You know, it's pretty much like by the book. So um, I started to perform stand-up comedy like on the like eve of my 30th birthday. So it's like, I think I was having like kind of like a, you know, a third life crisis or something like that. Like just wanting to um, like do something that was like creative and fun and just forced me to step outside of like my every day of, you know, like going to work, kind of dealing with like all of the nonsense that was happening in um, like the political space, the, the news space, but not really having a space to like speak about it. So the stage, you know, performing became the space. Um, and like, as I mentioned before, um, I'm not exactly the best like stand-up comic. It's not really a medium that um, resonates so well with me, but I love writing. So um, the podcast was a way to um, kind of explore these topics that I was like rolling around in my head um, in terms of the news that I couldn't necessarily like write in the pages of a newspaper. So it's like, how can I express, you know, because I felt like when I became a journalist to a large, to a, a certain extent, my voice was like taken away from me. So the podcast is kind of like a medium to get my, to give my voice back. Cause you know, as a journalist, you're trained, you have to be objective. Like you can't um, infuse your personal opinion into your work um, or you're at the risk of, you know, like prejudicing the audience, but we can't, I think it's starting to be more accepted today that like journalists have a life outside of the newsroom. Um, they have opinions outside of the newsroom and that it's still possible to produce, um, you know, objective content without, you know, divorcing yourself completely from like your, you know, political social beliefs. So um, the podcast was a way for me to, and I don't, you know, claim the podcast is news. Like it's like, we talk about things that are like current events, but it's not news. So um, we just use that as a space to kind of, like I said, hold a mirror up to society to say like, this is really what we're doing. This is America. Yes, this is America. So, you know, think about this, laugh at it, but also like, how are we going to move beyond it? What's, what action is going to occur from it? Like, I love, my favorite part about the podcast is um, when people, like, send me a message, um, like, oh, this topic was so, like, interesting. It made me think about X, Y, Z. So as long as we're getting people to think about, you know, think critically about what's happening in the world around us, I think we're doing our job as creatives. There's, there's so much I want to dig into there, and I need to respect everyone's time. Um, but I do love that you talk about your relationship to your voice in journalism, as a creative, in comedy. And that kind of begs the question, as a journalist, do you consider your, your journalistic work, that particular craft as an artistic practice? Not really. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, because like when I became a journalist, um, I did it more so for the love of writing. And it made sense like in terms of the direction my career was going in at the time, I had been um, a teacher and I ended up covering education um, at the newspaper I was working at in um, Wisconsin. So it just made kind of sense um, in the terms of a linear track to move into like writing about education journalism. And I would say like, I did have some, I wouldn't necessarily call it creative freedom, but just like professional freedom to like cover stories that I thought like had merit in the community. Like if it wasn't like a kind of like a daily beat, like, you know, something like the schools are shutting down because of weather, like that's one type of story, but like, covering like what was going on with students in classrooms, more so like special interest, human interest type pieces. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that um, it was a creative um, endeavor, but more so I saw it as kind of a social justice endeavor. Like, um, and I got a lot of uh, pushback surprisingly, well, I guess not surprisingly from the community about this, 
but I guess like my predecessors didn't write as much about like you know race class um gender issues in the schools but I'm like you know my perspective was if there are if the school district is majority students of color then the majority of like human interest stories I'm going to cover are going to speak to these students because they're the majority um but you know I was sometimes accused of being, you know, like a race baiter, which is like, this doesn't make any sense. But, um, you know, I didn't really feel like I had a leg to stand on in terms of like responding to like that type of criticism personally, because I didn't want to, you know, like prejudice the community's mind against the newsroom. So, but I would say that not necessarily like an artistic endeavor, but more so, um, you know, social justice and bringing the attention of what these students were going through in the district to like the masses. And it, like the conversations that it did create, you know, were um, necessary and telling of, you know, the type of community that, you know, the school, the students had to grow up in. Yeah, you've, you've already touched on so many aspects of kind of the, the, the weeds of journalism, like whether or not it's a an artistic endeavor or you know like a creative practice um the relationship to um objectivity um whether or not you know when you were talking a little bit earlier about recognizing that journalists can have a life it kind of reminds me of that moment when a seven-year-old sees their teacher in the grocery store for the <laughs> first time and it's like this Johnson, you drink a seltzer in my case, they was my students from Miami at <laughs> happy hour. But you know, similar to hey. <laughs> <laughs> we going Friday night. Like, get out of my face. <laughs> students found out you had fun real quick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it begs the question, you know, how do you think journalism has changed? You've already like hit on a number of issues, including like whether or not there's room within journalism to engage a, a social justice. Um, voice and impact. Do you think any of these things are changing? And if so, are they changing in the right direction? Um, I don't think so, really. And that's unfortunate. Like, I guess in terms of um, communities being able to, like the, democrat the democratization of um, platforms and like access, like somebody who has a particular like focus can go and start a newspaper, start a blog, start a um, a podcast about the issues that are important to them in their community. So to that extent, yes. But when you think about mainstream media, not so much because you know the arguments that we're having as journalists about um, objectivity, about um, like what should be covered, what's worthy of being covered, about the audiences that like are we going after, like doing the best coverage for the community that we represent or for the community that's you know paying the bills for the publication all of those conversations have been happening you know for 30 40 50 years like talking to you know veteran journalists these were some of the issues that they didn't feel like they had the that they were dealing with but didn't necessarily feel like they had the space to bring up in their newsrooms and apparently these things like happen in cycles um, so, you know, there was a really big push for like diversity in newsrooms, you know, like 10 or 15 years ago, but it's always a reactive response to something, you know, that has happened in the um, political network, you know, like, so George Floyd, now there's a, a bigger push for, you know, diverse journalists, you know, after Mike Brown, bigger push for like more diversity in journalism. But it's like, if we, as an industry, keep responding to crises, um, then how much of it, 
is really um, about like the merit of the work mm, versus like mm, a PR move. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is kind of the same um, across the board for mainstream media. Mm. I think you've given everyone a lot to think of here. So in terms of our audience, what do you want to see more people doing with regard to social justice and journalism, with regard to how we engage with comedians? What's what's the what's the takeaway? What's the marching orders here? Hmm, that's a good question. I think, um, especially when you think about like, um, I'm kind of in a like as a comedian, but also as like a person who is like deeply cares about and is engaged in like um, social justice work. I find it. Like, I love the idea of comedians having like a platform to say what they need to say um, in order to hold a mirror up to society. But as Miyako mentioned, we have to think about like which direction we're punching in. So it's like, I'm never a fan of like punching down because it's like, think of yourself as like a creative, you know, there are, there's an easier way or better way or funnier way to get your point across without making somebody else like who has less power than you, the butt of your joke. So I would challenge comedians to like think about the themes in which they want to critique and how they can hold the mirror up to the people in power versus the folks who might be victims of that power structure, that power system. So that would be my marching orders on the comedic side. Cause you know, we've gotten to, the internet has gotten into a huge debate about, you know, Dave Chappelle's latest special and where people fall on that. Um, so I would challenge people to think about comedy in that sense. And then on the other side, the journalistic side, um, what can we do to create um, newsrooms that are truly like representative of all the communities that we serve instead of um, attempting to write off a community. It's like, oh, they don't read news. They don't pay for news. Like maybe think critically about turning mirror on yourself. Like why aren't these people, you know, interested in what we have to say as a news organization? Like take your ego out of it. Um, talk to the people who might not pick up a copy of the paper or tune into your channel to figure out like why that audience has tuned you out. I think are very important, you know, ways to be reflective in both the journalistic space and the comedic space. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, so before we let you go for the evening, we just want to give you a chance to share your pluggables. How do people find out about People's Report? How do people find out about your stand-up um, dates? How do folks like and follow and support you? Well, you can find all of um, the People's Report content at PPLS Report Pod across all social platforms. So we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Um, you can follow me personally um, across platforms at A-M-B-A-W-A-L-K-A, which is a play on my name, um, Ambawaka, which is like a homage to my great-grandfather. That's how he used to pronounce my name growing up. So um, there was no E-R, they were all A's. So um, yeah, that's how you can find out about like what I have going on. Yeah, so if you're like a podcast fan, like please check us out. We drop um, every 1st and 15th, like you check every two weeks. So, you know, our idea is like laughing at the headlines to keep from crying, as I said before. So um, imagine if NPR and The Onion adopted a black baby. That's the people. Special thanks to the Black Revolutionary Theater Workshop for having me on their show, Melanated Mondays. You can check out the rest of the conversation on their YouTube channel or on their website, blackrevolutionarytheaterworkshop.org. Be sure to hit them up on Instagram at the BTRW. Thanks for listening and see y'all next time.